Uh, if you've seen that movie, uh, Saving Private Ryan, this is back in 1998, but if you've seen it, you'll never forget the opening scene where Spielberg portrays the coming of the Allied troops onto the shores of Normandy. Uh, I remember watching it, I was in my late teens, it was a full-on movie, a full-on event, June 6, 1944, known as D-Day, uh, where the Allies invaded Europe at Normandy, they pushed on uh, through France and finally coming to Berlin. VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, was declared on May 8, 1945. So the success of D-Day made V-Day and its victory inevitable. Now you just imagine that 11-month period between those significant events, a time of relief, I'm sure, because the Allies had come to liberate Europe, a time of hardship as World War II continued to to press on, but a time of great anticipation of the coming end. We know what it's like, don't we, to live between two significant events. There's the engaged couple. Uh, We belong to each other, but not quite yet. And so there's this great anticipation uh, for the wedding day. Uh, The the year 12 graduate, uh, I've received the results. I've been accepted to university, but there's an anticipation for the university year to get underway. You've been selected to play cricket for Australia. You've dreamed this way. The baggy green, it's in your hands. But then you're anticipating the game uh, which uh, is to come. Living between D-Day and V-Day, Matthew 24, verse 45 to 25, verse 30, Megan just read it to us. It describes our experience of living between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We've been thinking about this a little bit over the last uh, few weeks. As Cookie, our old Bible college principal lecturer, put it, it would be wrong for a person who is engaged to not anticipate marriage. It would be likewise wrong for the church, since we are engaged to God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to have no sense of anticipation for the fulfilment of it all by the coming of God's Son. What is it like to live in this between time, uh, anticipating Jesus' return, these last days, or following on from last week, sort of narrowing in a a little more? Uh, We know he's coming. We just don't know when. How are we to wait? If you're someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus... I wonder if you reflect, what what has your waiting for his return over the last year looked like? Over the last month, over the last day even? You may know a parable is a story with a meaning. And here Jesus uses three parables. And in each parable, an important figure is absent, but then returns and expects people to be ready for him. And to state the obvious... In each parable, that important figure represents Jesus and our anticipation of his return. Uh, The plan is we'll spend a short time looking at the first two parables 
and then a little more on the third. At least that's the plan. We'll see how we go. The, the first parable is there, if your Bible's in front of you, chapter 24, verse 45 to 51. Just look at verse 45. We read, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? parable begins with a rhetorical question. The master goes away on some journey. He leaves a servant in charge of his household. You, you want to put someone faithful and wise in that role, don't you? And you see, as the parable progresses, the way that this diligent servant is treated by the master upon his return. It's been found doing his job. And verse 47, Jesus says, truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. That's staggering, isn't it? But each of these parables has the contrast. There's the good and faithful servant, but there's the separation, verse 48. But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, oh, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. Now, the wicked servant treats the delay of the master's return as license to do whatever he likes, to mistreat those around him, to indulge himself, to neglect his work, and to live it up, living as though the master is never really going to come back. And then Jesus says those shocking words, doesn't he, in verse 51, that they shock he, the master, will cut him, the servant, to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a picture of hell. In the delay, we're not to let our fitness slide. Be faithful. What will he find us doing when he returns? South African pastor Frank Retief, he once talked about seeking to live by the, the five-minute rule. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've heard of this. Uh, this idea that whatever is upsetting me right now, if I knew Jesus was to return in five minutes, would this thing be upsetting me then? It's a helpful way, isn't it, to think about actually what matters in life? but also a helpful way to think as we consider our activity in life too, our service of the master. When Jesus returns, we want him to find us doing what he's given us to do, don't we? Being ready here is being faithful to the master and wise. The second parable contrasts not, not faith and wisdom with wickedness, but wisdom with foolishness. And again, it's the long wait. He'll return, we don't know when, but it's the long wait and it's the first 13 verses of chapter 25. And where we read virgin there, we might be right to think bridesmaid or at least unmarried guests. And from what we know of first century uh, Jewish wedding customs, the groom would leave his house and he would journey to the bride's House. Usually the, the wedding ceremony was, was conducted there, uh, sometimes often perhaps at night. Uh, after the wedding, everyone in the wedding party 
would then go back to the groom's place for the reception, for the banquet, for the feast, and you want to make sure that you're amongst that. So we picture the ten bridesmaids, they're waiting for the groom, Uh, where is he? There's some kind of delay, The, the wedding banquet, we're ready for it to get underway. Five of them, we're told, are foolish, five are wise, and the foolish ones are simply not prepared for the long wait. They don't have the extra oil to keep the lamps burning. And so when the groom finally arrives, they're not ready. They're off buying some new oil. We we see from verse 10 that the wise bridemaids go into the banquet with the groom and the door is closed. But the others, rocking up late, don't get in. Now, I think it's helpful to just observe that these people are a part of the visible church. They're a part of the Christian community. You see this in verse 11 and 12. We read, later the others came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. They're saying, Lord, Lord, they're professing believers. I don't know about you, but this reminds me of Jesus' words back in Matthew chapter 7, where he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Doug O'Donnell says these five silly girls are irresponsibly secure. Their attitude to the, the great feast That is Jesus' return, the day we're meant to be longing for. Come, Lord Jesus. Their attitude to that day is lackadaisical, careless. They just assume they'll be a shoo-in. The emphasis here is have your Christian life in order that when you are surprised by Jesus' sure return, you will be ready. Uh, Our boys are reading a series of books at the moment uh, called Wings of Fire, dragons fighting each other or something. Uh, They're reading some and Jen is reading some uh, to them. And there's this particular scene where some dragons are forming a a rebellion group. They have a weekly meeting. Uh, And a a dragon who is new to the group goes along and the, the new dragon asks, are there more than three in this group? Oh, yes, the, the, the hive, uh, there are seven of us, comes the response. Well, maybe six. Uh, why aren't the others here, the new dragon asks. Well, they couldn't make it tonight. Uh, one had to make costumes for her dragonette school play. Uh, another had an early morning meeting. Uh, and what did Tamora say? Oh, that's right, she was too tired. The, the new dragon said, Really? Very dedicated to the rebellion then, are they? Yeah, I think it's sort of funny too, but sadly that reminds me so much of the visible church, the Christian community, a bit like the bridesmaids perhaps, sort of waiting, sort of ready, kind of half engaged, lackadaisical. Lord, Lord, they said, open up for us. Sorry we're late. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't 
know you. Uh, Doug O'Donnell says, too little preparation, too much presumption will result in rejection. Uh, Don't let that be you. As we live between these two significant events, Jesus' first coming and his sure return, as we wait for our master Jesus to make all things new, we're to be faithful to him, eyes on him, ready for him. Wisdom, not wickedness. Wisdom, not foolishness. P.T. Forsyth said, God does not simply cancel the charge against us in court and bid us walk out of jail. That's not the whole gospel. No, he also, he meets us at the prison door and he puts us in a new way of life. What's the new way of life? It's a life of service to him. And that's what we have in this third parable, chapter 25, verse 14 to 30. Look at verse 14 and 15 with me. We read again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. It's a picture of the Christian life, isn't it? Between the two events, everything we have is a gift from God. All the resources that you and I have ultimately belong to God. The believer says to themselves, I am not my own. I belong to God. All that I am, all that I have, Lord, is yours. And see his generosity in this parable. The bags of gold are given according to ability. I love that. And you see in the footnote, just one bag of gold, what's it worth? 20 years of a labourer's wage. Even the one with a single bag has plenty to work with. The job while we wait for Jesus' return is to put the master's resources to work for him and so for the kingdom. Now, because the Greek word behind the bags of gold is talents, which is was a unit of money, it sounds like use your talents, doesn't it? You, you know, your gifts, your, your abilities to serve God. And so it's often been applied that way, this passage. And of course, it can be broadened to that. Absolutely. All that I am and all that I have belong to him. But it also must be reference to actual money. Some of you are familiar with that great book, The, the Barefoot Investor. Some of you maybe have organised your finances around uh, the recommendations of that book. There's another great book, uh, it's coming up on the screen hopefully, called The Barefoot Disciple. Uh, It's an exciting book, this one, for young adults to read, I reckon, and good for all of us. Uh, Less about, uh, well, someone said, this book ruined me in all of the right ways. Jesus said, you remember in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we want to put our money where we want our hearts to be, spending on the kingdom within our means.
Anyway, as we live this life in service of our master, Don Carson says, however precisely the talents are interpreted, each disciple should live and work in such a boldly enterprising way that the returning master will say, well done, good, trustworthy slave. That is what it means to be ready for Jesus' return. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, that The master returns and two of the three slaves have been serving him diligently. And while their amounts of money uh, differ, the affirmation is the same. It's in verse 21. It's repeated again in verse 23. The master returns and he's come to, you know, draw up the accounts. And the master, they show what they've done. And the master says, verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And you you observe it's a threefold reward. One, there's just this praise-filled approval. Well done, good and faithful servants. How we long to hear that on the final day. Second, there's the reward of more responsibility. I don't think we'll be doing nothing in the new creation. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And three, sharing in the master's happiness. I love it. This must be the greatest. Wouldn't you say enter into the joy? It could be translated. Come and share in your master's happiness. This is what we long for upon Jesus's return. But like the other parables... There's the contrast. The the one with the one bag of gold does nothing with it. Well, actually, he buries it. And do you see his excuse, verse 24? Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've, you've not scattered seeds. You'd think at least the fear would motivate some activity. Whatever the case, anyway, Carson again, he says on this, what ultimately condemned this disciple and made him unready to meet his Lord at the second coming was the fact that he had proved to be useless for the kingdom of heaven. I find that really challenging. His performance had not matched his profession, his profession of faith, that... That is really challenging, isn't it? Useless for the kingdom of heaven. We read verse 28 to 30. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been given more, uh, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Again, Jesus, he likes to talk about that unpopular topic of hell. J.C. Ryle says, let us leave this parable with a solemn determination by God's grace to never be content with a profession of Christianity without practice. 
He goes on, we are not told that the unprofitable servant was a murderer or a thief or even a waster of his Lord's money, but that he did nothing. That was his ruin. Ryle says, let us beware of a do-nothing Christianity. Such Christianity does not come from the Spirit of God. And we know, don't we, that the Christian life, it's not passive. (laughs) Jesus does all the work. We do nothing for salvation. But we get on with serving the King once we belong to him. What does it look like to be ready for Jesus' return? It looks like serving the Master. Wisdom, not wickedness. Wisdom, not foolishness. Action, not inactivity. And I just wonder, I know this is a really heavy part of the Bible and I found it really challenging this week. I wonder if you might go home today and reflect on this question. What does it look like for you? What does it look like for me, given the abilities and resources that the Lord has entrusted, including money? What does it look like to maximise his assets, to serve him diligently while I wait for his return? We're living between two significant events. The first, the first, the Lord Jesus entering history, dying in our place, rising again, ascending to the Father. The first guarantees the second, living between D-Day and V-Day, serving him as we wait. And I don't know about you, but that drives me to prayer. So let's, let's do that now. Our master, Jesus, uh, these are three very challenging parables. And Lord, as people who trust in you for our salvation, we pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we have been like the wicked, lazy servant. Lord, we're sorry for being foolish and half-hearted and barely engaged at times in serving our King. And we thank you, Lord, that you do forgive us in Christ. Lord, we praise you that even if it's been many years that we've been neglecting to live for you, you forgive us in him and we pray that you would do that. And we ask, Lord, as we leave this afternoon, that by your spirit, you would help us serve you for your glory. And Lord, we pray that it would be a joy. Loving Father, we know that you are not a hard master, but that you are generous and forgiving and patient and merciful and kind, that you are compassionate But we also know that, Lord Jesus, you will return someday and so we want to be ready. So, Lord, if we need to get our gear together, we pray that you would help us go home and do that and help us to do it together. Uh, Help us encourage one another and uh, urge one another on as we seek to live for our Master Jesus. 
help us be your diligent servants that on that final day you will say to us, uh, well done, good and faithful servants. And we pray all this in Master Jesus' name. Amen.